Hi, everybody, and welcome to Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book <laughs> of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is the 6th of May, 2023. My name is Maria Epson Frank, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from County Dublin in Ireland, and I am your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Sue L and Tanya G. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts, and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that we'll disable the chat function with the duration of Harlan's um, uh, workshop, but we will enable it again at 10 minutes before the Q&A. <clears throat> of unity, we ask that you keep your camera on during the study so please just so we can all be here together and to see each other's faces please do try if you can to keep your camera on we ask that you can keep your microphone and mute at all times during today's study and also please do turn off your camera if you're exercising or if you're eating or you need to step away for any reason we'll post a link to the seventh edition in the chat function this money goes towards the cost of our Zoom account, the cost of uploading our recordings, and we also send contributions to our intergroup and to the World Service Office. We'll also post a link to the previous week's recordings, um, and we'll do this in the chat function as well. The, the recordings are on the Scottsdale Big Book Study website. We'll now turn over the meeting to Harlan G in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Maria. I'm so glad to be here today. I hope wherever the heck you are, it is as absolutely stunning as it is here. It's 74 degrees. The humidity is shoe size. Uh, it is there is the nearest cloud is somewhere over CC's house in New Mexico. And it is just an unbelievable day here in Scottsdale, Arizona, in the Sonoran Desert. We have been talking about step 10. Last week, we went through step 10. We went through the mechanics of it, and we tried as best we could to dispel some of the misconceptions around step 10. The biggest misconceptions around step 10, just to review, are these. Number one, step 10 is something that we start after we're finished with step nine. No, that's not the case. And we don't do it that way because step nine can sometimes be more of a protracted process. We have to find people. We can go through certain amends very quickly. People are, you know, they're right near us. They're proximus to us. Some people need to be uh, in a situation where it's a little more time. They don't need to be, but it is a, a situation where it is a little more time consuming. And one of the things that we talked about last week was this word as it says here very clearly, we vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. And so I introduced people to step 10 as we come out of five and we take that hour after five and then we do six, seven, eight. And then we don't start nine right away because I want them to finish their eight step, uh, eight step list rather. I start them on steps 10 and 11 very, very quickly. Some of you are texting me about my shirt. I'll explain that very quickly. 
I am going to a memorial service today for a friend of mine who unfortunately committed suicide. And I am driving with my, not my adopted mom, but my surrogate mom, I guess is the best way you can describe it. And normally I wear t-shirts and I'm getting, my phone is blowing up here, uh, which I appreciate. But if I show up in a shirt without a collar, I'm gonna catch the dickens from this woman. And she's 91, I'm not gonna do anything to, to to hack her off. There's no way in heck I'm showing up without a shirt that has a collar on it. So that I appreciate the questions. All right, now back to, it's amazing what you guys notice. It's incredible what you guys will sometimes notice. Okay, let's get back to the thing. Step 10, very, very important step because no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I'm going to be privy to sadness and fear and anger. And I'm going to be privy to jealousy and I'm going to be privy to happiness all manner of emotions are headed my way, no matter what I do. And no matter what happens, so no matter how many times I go through steps six and seven, these defects of character will resurrect within me very gorgeously because the human ego, which is the parent of these defects of character, resurrects itself beautifully. You know, my often repeated theory is that if every organ in the body resurrected itself like the human ego, we would live to be 35,000 years old for crying out loud. I mean, there'd be no destroying us. Excuse me. There'd be no destroying us. So the human ego is the parent of fear, anger, dishonesty, selfishness, and self-seeking. Those are the defects of character. And we want to be very clear that yelling at your dog or coming late to work or stealing, these are not defects of character. Gossiping, these are not defects of character. These are behaviors that emanate from our defects of character. So let's be clear that when we talk about defects of character, we're talking about five defects of character, selfish, dishonest, resentment, fear, and self-seeking. Those are the five defects of character. All these other behaviors stem from these things. Now, one of the other misconceptions about step five, or excuse me, about step 10 is that this is something that you write out. You don't. You can write a fourth step. And the very beginning of the paragraph says, we continue to take personal inventory. That means from time to time, I just did one. I just did a fifth step yesterday and I did a fourth step on Thursday and it was quite revealing. I wasn't so anxious to see the results of it, but it was really, really quite revealing. And it seems I have a lot of work in front of me, particularly in a, in a certain area of my life where changes are definitely going to have to be in order here, or I'm going to be in trouble. So these four steps are revealing. You don't just do one four step and you're done for the rest of your life. It doesn't, at least with me, it doesn't work that way. I do them. When do I do a four step just to sort of circumvent, because I know I'm going to get questions about that later. If I've done a 10 step on something and it keeps persisting, 
keeps persisting, not good English, uh, it, it persists. That means that I'm going to have to sit down with pencil and paper and I'm going to have to do step number four on that issue. Because if it's persistent, that means it needs more of my attention. But the instructions for the actual 10 step are continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. They left out self-seeking from step 10. Whatever the reason is, doesn't matter. So what step did we use to, to look at selfish, dishonest, resentment, and fear? We look at step four for those things. When these things crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. That's steps six and seven. We discuss them with someone immediately. It doesn't say we send them an email. It doesn't say we send them a letter. It doesn't say we, we call them when we have a chance. It says we discuss them with someone immediately. And this is very important. Now, I work too. I happen to work for myself. I happen to work for myself. So some of you are saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't make a phone call. You know, there's cathedrals in every public building in America. Some are marked men and some are marked women. And with the advent of our cell phones, recovery becomes that much easier. Eventually, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And when I do, I'll make, and how long should the 10 step take? Not very long. It's about a two, three minute process when it's done correctly. Well, what step did we use to discuss something with someone immediately? Yeah, you're right. Step five. Okay, and make amends quickly, steps eight and nine. If we've harmed anyone, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help, step 12. So we get this thing, well, you have to work the steps in order. There's references to step 11 in nine, and there's a reference to step 12 in 10. So that tells me that we do them in order, but we do them together that there is a nexus, there is a putting together of these steps that aids to our, <clears throat> excuse me, to our spiritual awakening. Very, very important that we remember that. Okay, now last week, I promised you something. And what I promised you was we would cover in this next paragraph, we're going to start on page 85. But before we get to the paragraph beginning, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action. I'm just going to relook at two sentences in the bottom of 80, on the bottom of page 84. And it says here, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. Very, very important. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol. You know, when I first came into these rooms, I have some memories 44 years ago of those first few nights trying to give up the food. And I'm going to be honest with you, since my sponsor at that time is no longer living, and I hope he's not listening to this, I was unsuccessful because I could not bear through those original hard, hard times of the withdrawal from the sugar. So I 
capitulated to it. But when I finally got rolling, it was very difficult and I was extremely nauseated. I walked around with dry heaves. I walked around, the back of my head was freaking killing me. And I was just irritable and I was just miserable because I was used to having my uh, emotions sated with Rolos and M&Ms with peanuts and Almond Joy bars and, and, and Kit Kats. So that was my medicine. That was my prescription. You know, I got Kit Kats as needed. You know, the, Dr. Mars, Dr. M&M said uh, Kit Kats as needed. And it said for refills, infinite amount. You know, it says infinite amount. So I was in, under no circumstance limited to the number of medical procedures, meaning McDonald's, meaning Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, whatever it was, um, whatever that was, that I could apply to my to to my problem here. Okay, so it says we've ceased fighting anything or anyone. It took me a longer time than I'm willing to admit sometimes before I stopped dieting with group support and transcended into recovery. And the second most common asked question in vision for on vision for you is what the first most common is, can I be heard? May I be heard? Can I be heard? May I be heard? Now, just for you guys that come here, may I be heard is not the right question because may I be heard means you're asking permission to be heard. The real question is, can I be heard? I may not be much at math, but come on, if you're going to ask the inane question, all you need to do is do it right and say, can I be heard? Not may I be heard? Okay. So I want you guys not to sound, you know, Dumbo the elephant, you know, like that. I want you guys to sound good. Okay. That's, that's, I'm crazy today. I don't know why. Okay. So the bottom line is we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. And when I find myself in a situation today, where I am fighting something, particularly very difficult people to get along with. I've had to separate myself from two friends that I have known for almost 60 years, 50 plus years. I love these men. I truly do. I love them and they love me. I cannot be around them. They are toxic to my spirit. Not because they're bad people. I'm not judging them and I'm not coming here to gossip about them or anything like that. The reason I've had to separate myself from them is I cannot fight them any longer. I'm old. I'm going to be 69 years old here in about 15 minutes, it seems like. Um, the bottom line is... Um, I can't fight them anymore. I don't want to be in those circumstances where I'm around extremely difficult people. Then it says, for by this time, sanity will have returned. Oh, before I leave that fighting anything or anyone, it's not just about people, guys. It's about food. You see, I am a compulsive overeater. And if you put me in the prize ring with food, Imagine a prize fight, a boxing match, and I'm in there with food. Food is 100 feet tall and it is in top shape. There isn't, you know, there's muscle upon muscle upon muscle upon muscle. 
and food has kicked my butt from the time I was a baby. So to think that I can go in there and beat food on its own game, to beat food down, is absolutely insane. It's insane to think I can do that. So I can't fight food. So what this program has done for me is it, it, it has emancipated me from that struggle. This is the essence of recovered, the essence of recovery. And if you look at what we talk about here so much of the time, we are in a situation where many people, hopefully not you guys, but many, many people treat OA as if it was a diet club. And we come in here with dieting skills. We've all been on diets our whole life. I would be willing to wager, because today's the Kentucky Derby, so I might as well wager today, right? But anyway, I would be willing to wager that if I went to your house, there is going to be a literal library of self-help books and diet books, food-related books, what to eat, what not to eat, the this diet, the that diet, the this, the that. I would be willing to bet you that you guys would probably pass a test. If, if, if I don't know how registered nutritionists are in the state of Arizona or Illinois or anywhere, the, uh, but what I could bet you is most of you could get 97% on any test that a doctor or a nutritionist would pass relative to food. I bet if I if I had a sign here, how much how many calories are in this? You guys would be right there. If it was in jeopardy, you guys would be jeopardy champions. So we want to transcend this dieting into recovery. And it says here, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food, even alcohol. And then it says here, for by this time, sanity will have returned. Now let's take a look at what that means. What, what step did we get introduced to this, uh, this concept of sanity? That would be step two. In the, word, in the words that it says there, look at the words. It says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And somebody very wise said to me, came to, period, believe that there is a power greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity. Because after step one, what happened to me? I came to. I came out of that anesthetic. I came out of the ether. I came out of that dead spot. Came to, period. It's not, there's no period there, but I'm just telling you, period. Believe that there is a power greater than yourself that, that will restore you to sanity. Now, when we say this, why did he use the word sanity rather than sobriety? Because isn't that the point of, of Overeaters Anonymous is to be restored to sobriety? I mean, of, of to abstinence or AA to sobriety? No, because when God opens a door, he opens it all the way. 
you know, I had houses with garages for a long time in Eugene, Oregon, and here in Scottsdale. My garage was like huge. It was like you, not the one in Eugene so much, but the one here in Scottsdale. Man, I, you could have, the Bears could have played football in that thing. But anyway, when my garage door opened, it was big. It was huge. It was like this whole thing. Well, when God opens up a door for me, he doesn't just say, come, my son, I will heal your addiction to food. No, 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 no. He is healing my addiction to fear. Now, I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress. I'm going to heal your addiction to jealousy. I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress. I'm going to heal your addiction to codependent behaviors. And I'm going to heal your addiction to destroying and sabotaging yourself. I'm still a work in progress. But what we see is a lot of progress here. So when we look at our human self, we are not just eating machines. We don't just have an errant relationship with food or a hideously destructive relationship with food. We have a destructive relationship with the people, places, and things around us. And we have been a, a prey to the defects of character, which have caused us to put ourselves in a position to be destroyed. When this disease comes into your life, it doesn't just make you thin or fat or bulimic or, or whatever, or obese. It doesn't just do that. It comes in and it permeates and putrefies every cell of your being. And it stains the soul with an ink that will make it so you do not want to live and do not care. The will to live, the will to live is so ingrained in me today. I want to live where for years and years and years of my life, I hated living. I hated life. And I pissed away years and years of my life. You know, many of you Write me very beautiful, beautiful correspondence about these sessions. Let me assure you of something. I paid in blood. I paid in sweat. I paid in tears. So I thank you for your, for your emails and all that stuff. It's very nice. But we all pay, not just me. We all pay for our seat here. You would be of no value to God unless... You had gone through what you had gone through. You know, every morning of my life, every morning of my life, I read these words. And these are words that I read because they are important to me. And they're on page 124. And on page 124, the second paragraph of 124, it says, this painful past may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problem. We think each family which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only too willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places. 
showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. I read those words every morning because I need to remember that we don't go through what we go through for nothing. We go through what we go through so we could help the next person. Let's go to page 85 where we're going to read the words, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action. Let's stop right there. This is not a program for people who need it. It is not a program for people who want it. This is a program for people who do it. This is an action program. Am I perfect? No. No. Do I always think perfectly? No. Do I always act perfectly? No. But what I do is I strive with all my heart and soul to learn and become better. And how do I do that? By sponsoring. By serving. That's what I do. That's what you've done. Many of you are sponsors. Many of you have done so much service. So much, so much. You know, I love the OA birthday. I love the OA birthday. I, I look forward to it all year long. And it's in January. It's in the middle of January every year. It's in Los Angeles, California. And it is just a wonderful convention to attend. And the reason that I love the OA birthday isn't just because we get to see each other, which we didn't during the pandemic, but the OA birthday takes recovery very seriously. Now, a number of years ago, I was the vice chair of that committee. And my job was to make sure that we put the microphones in the hands of the people best suited to have them. And that was part of my job. They take at the birthday, they take recovery very seriously. But one of the things that I never, ever understood until I was the vice chair is, holy mackerel, what an undertaking this is. Oh, my God. There is so much negotiation with the hotel. There's so much to with the rooms and the this. Oh, my God. It's like putting on a space. It's a launching of the freaking space shuttle. It's amazing how much work goes into this. Holy crap on a cracker. I never in my entire life knew how much work there was. But this program of recovery is work. And if all I'm going to do is just go to meetings and go to meetings and go to meetings, go to meetings, don't eat, go to meetings, don't eat, go to meetings, don't eat, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. You know, you hear this about go to meetings, don't eat and go to meetings. That's a bare beginning for people like me. I can't just exist on go to meetings and don't eat. Because eventually I'm going to eat on my way to the meeting. I'm going to pray for a Russian airstrike during the meeting. And I'm going to eat my way home, which doesn't make a lot of sense now because I go to Zoom meetings uh, almost exclusively. So, you know, in the old days, you had to actually get in the car to go to the meeting. Whereas today, all I have to do is shake the mouse and I'm there. 
But the bottom line is you get the picture. So it takes action. Now, I am of the belief, and I have been of the belief for a very, very long time. Now, cannot prove this. I, I, there's no scientific proof for this. There is no uh, vindication for what I'm about to say in the big book. This is my theory. This is my opinion. So you are free to ignore it. But this is my theory, and it has been for a number of decades now. I believe that food addiction, alcoholism, and drug addiction, gambling, what have you, are spectrum disorders. What does that mean? We are affected identically, physical allergy, twist of the mind, but we are not affected equally. We are affected identically in that we have the physical allergy and the twist of the mind, but we are not affected equally. So that means that the effort that I put forward to sponsor others, the effort that I put forward to be of service to Overeaters Anonymous has to exceed the level of my effect. However deeply affected I am by this disease, judging by the fact that I was 335 pounds as a senior at Mather High School in Chicago, judging by the fact that I was 500 pounds by the time I was a sophomore in college at Roosevelt University in downtown Chicago, and by the fact that I was 600 pounds by the time I graduated Roosevelt University, I'm pretty damn affected, as are you. You are affected enough so that your disease drove you into these rooms. How many people here, show of hands, woke up one day and said, God, I wish I could be a member of Overeaters Anonymous. I can't wait to spend my life in church basements. How many people believe that? I don't think so. I didn't think so. But yet here we are. But you were affected to the point where this disease wreaked havoc on your life, not just by weight, not just by the level of how many operations that you had to have because of bulimia or because of obesity or how many treatments you had from doctors rushing you into emergency rooms because of your level of anorexia. But because this disease does more than that, it doesn't just touch you in the area of food. It destroys us. It isolates us. Any abusive person, any abuser, the first thing they do is they isolate you from your support system. They isolate you. They tell you they don't like your family. They don't like your friends. They don't want you around your family. That is what abusers do. They want to be the air and the sun and the water and everything that you, you need in life. They want you to have to come or think that you have to come to them for these commodities. And you don't. Once they isolate you, they have you. Now, this disease is the same thing. Once it plops you in that easy chair and you're no longer partaking in social things, you're no longer doing whatever it is you're doing with friends, with family, you are completely isolated. Now you give up and you get the screw-its. Now you don't care whether you live or die. You're going to eat ice cream and you don't give a damn who knows about it. 
or you're going to drink or gamble or drug or do whatever it is that you're going to do. And that's the process that it kills you. So if we look at this first sentence, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Now, we just said last week that if you are recovered, that is not a permanent condition. Just like if you're still eating and you're in the disease, that doesn't have to be permanent. You can get into recovery, but you're going to have to take action. So the answer to everything is action. The answer to everything is work. The answer to everything is what are you willing to do? I got to turn the fan on. It's getting hot in here. What are you willing to do and when are you willing to do it? What are you willing to do and when are you willing to do it? So these are key questions. Now let's continue. We're on page 85. We are headed for trouble if we do resting on our laurels for alcohol is a subtle foe. Now let's talk about that for just a minute. Now, I probably will not be tempted today because I'm going someplace um, where there's going to be food served. I'm going to a memorial service this afternoon. There's going to be food there. There's going to be donuts there. I happen to know for a fact donuts and there's going to be like deli stuff and there's going to be all kinds of bagels and crap like that. There's It's not crap, but they're going to have all that stuff there. And it's going to come from a top-notch place. The top-notch place here in the Valley is going to supply these things. I know because my friend is paying for it. So I know where they were ordered from. And that's good stuff. If you're going to eat, that's good stuff. But the bottom line is there's going to be all that stuff there. What probably won't happen to me today is I'm going to eat a donut. But here's what very well, very easily could happen to me. I could think to myself that I'm hurting. I could think to myself that other people have it better than me. I could compare myself to other people. I could get scared. I could get whatever it is. And through that, through that uh, uh, hole in the fence, self-pity, these various things, fear, anger, selfish, self-seeking, dishonesty, through guilt, through shame and remorse, the disease can very seductively say to me, you know, um, you haven't had one of these in a very long time. And these are really good ones that your friend paid for these. And he would be disappointed if you didn't have one. So the bottom line is, this is especially made for me, or it's kosher, or it's vegan, or it's vegetarian, or whatever that may be. I can be enchanted by BS. And I can justify that BS very easily because, oh, look at him. Look at her. Look at them. Look how lucky they are. And I, so unfortunate. And the disease right there. And it speaks to me in the most seductive voice possible. The disease comes to me wearing the cutest clothes, the cutest outfit I've ever seen. And man, it just knows what to tell me. 
And when we say that alcohol is a subtle foe, this is exactly what we're talking about. The sirens on the rocks, the ancient story of the sirens, very seductively basking on the rocks, beckoning the sailors to bring their ships in. And when the sailors do, their, their boats are dashed on the rocks and the sailors will come, the, the, the sirens will come and rob what's left that washes up on shore. That's exactly this disease. The temptress of this disease is not often food. The temptress or the temptation of this disease is in the defects of character that ego will wrought into my life. Food is down the line from that process. Very important. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Now, what does that mean? What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Once again, what is it telling me? I have to do what I have to do. How does my day start? Well, it starts early. I'm up early. Um, I get up, I walk. But before I walk, before I leave the house, before I do anything, I do step 11. Step 11 is the first thing out of my mouth other than me saying to myself, I got to go to the bathroom. Once I've done that, my bladder, my bladder and my kidneys, they are the first attention getting organs in the, in, the, in the world. So once I've done that, now I come back and I do step 11 and I pray. And there are things in this big book that I read every day of my life. And I have a certain series of things that I do, that I read. And they bring me comfort. They bring me joy. They help me. Now I'm ready to take on my day. Now I'm ready to go. So I do my walking. Well, lately I've had to dress my toe because I had ingrown toenail removal the other day. And yowie, I got to put that anti, that uh, neosporin on there and I got to bandage up the toe. So that takes a couple of minutes too. But other than that, will go away pretty soon in a few days. But now I can, now I'm ready to do my walk. Now I'm sponsoring because when I'm on my walk, I get sponsored and I, I am a sponsor because they know they're going to have my undivided attention. I start taking outreach calls usually about 2.30 a.m. my time. Usually around 2.30 a.m. my time. My gang knows they can reach me and I, they will have my undivided attention. So that's good. And that's fine. And I have a sponsor too. Uh, I have two sponsors now, but I have a sponsor that I reach very early in the morning also. Okay. So it's, it's contingent on the maintenance. That means we must continue to maintain. Maintenance is a continuum flow. Notice that it's not in past tense. Maintenance is in present tense. Because no matter how you read that, the word maintenance being in the present tense is that it is a series of events that never ceases. It just never, ever stops. Maintenance of what? Of our spiritual condition. And if I am not sponsoring and I am not doing the things consistent I am with recovery, I'm not going to stay in recovery. Recovery is a liquid. It's not a solid. 
I have to continue to maintain the level of recovery and I have to continue to work just a little harder than the affect of my spectrum disorder. I have to work just a little harder than I would if I were affected to a lower level. My suggestion to everybody is work as hard as this as you can, because that way you don't have to worry about it. You're just going to recover at that point. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. And that means I have work to do because I'm not always as good at this as I'd like to be. Sometimes I say stupid things to other people that I care about. Sometimes I do stupid things. Sometimes I am stupid things, but I'm very human. And no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of human being. And as a human being, I am privy to doing, saying stupid things. But if I'm in fit spiritual condition, I can pray. I can correct mistakes. And I'm in the process of correcting some mistakes. But the bottom line is I must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How do I do that specifically? By showing up as a recovered person. Showing up in recovery is about the best I can normally do. Show up and be that message of recovery that I know I need to see and others do too. We are all carrying a message. You've all heard me tell you the story of my daughter. My daughter was 19 months old. I was in complete and utter relapse. I was gaining weight in leaps and bounds. My daughter was 19 months old. We were living in Eugene, Oregon. It was a Sunday morning. Very hot for Eugene is 90. If it's, in the, if it's 90, it's sweltering in Eugene. It was 90 degrees. She was in a diaper. I can picture it now. My, my then wife was unloading two and a half grocery stores worth of food. I swear she bought more than one whole grocery store. So she's unloading massive, massive, massive amounts of groceries. And my daughter is playing on the kitchen floor and the, dog are, the dogs are running around and doing whatever they're doing. And she's throwing them food. You know, she would come back from the store with all kinds of stuff for the dogs. But anyway, so my daughter was watching daddy more than I believe that she did. And she opened up the door of the refrigerator and she turned her head to her mother and said, shit, Esther, there's nothing in here. Where did she learn that? She learned it by watching daddy. And if looks could kill, I would have been vaporized by my wife. I would have just poofed into steam, and that would have been the last you ever saw of me. She opened up the door and said, shit, Esther, there's nothing in here. So we are all an example of something. Some of us are an example of the recovery, and sadly, some of us are examples of the illness in its active form. So 
We have to carry this into all, uh, carry God's will into all of our activities. And now we have the 10 step prayer. And the 10 step prayer is one that I say about 10,000 times a day. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. Boy, I, I still am so tempted to um, have my will, my way, my everything. And that's not what I really, really want. Because when God has his way, when God asserts his will, everything for everybody is better. But I want to tug on him and say, but wait a minute, what about me? He didn't forget about me. I may not get the result that I want. I may be hurt. I may be rewarded, I, whatever that may be. But in the long run, everything will come together in God's world for all of us. Because when God opens up a door, he opens it all the way, just like my garage door in Scottsdale. My God will open the door all the way. Yes, it may be a little hell waiting in the hallway for just a little bit, but God never opens up one door without opening up yet another door. So how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. And if we're thinking about God's will and we're thinking about God, that's prayer. That's prayer. And we're going to be talking about that. That's praying. And we have to remember what step do we go back to? Step two. That we have come to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. None of these steps are permanent. They are all in flux. They are all liquid. Nothing but life and death can circumvent this fact. Recovery is a liquid and the disease is a liquid. You can, if you're in the disease, you're eating, you want to eat, you've been doing some eating, you can change that by coming in, putting the food down and getting a sponsor and working the steps and the desire to eat that food will leave you and you will see a different world. You'll be rocketed into that fourth dimension, but you will never be rocketed into any dimension for a permanent period of time unless you maintain it. Clancy Immeslin loved this story and I love Clancy. He's one of my heroes. I am unashamedly the possessor of a man crush on Clancy Immeslin. And when he died, it was like a museum burning to the ground. He told the story of the invisible boat. And he loved to tell the story of the invisible boat. And he said that there was two guys on a shore. And they were waiting for the U.S. Treatment Center to come along and pick them up and take them into recovery. And one guy, he's on the shore, and all of a sudden, this very fancy yacht, this very fancy boat comes to shore, and there's food on there, and there's music playing, and oh my God. And one guy gets out and he says, I'm going to take this boat. And then these alcoholics, they come up to the shore and they say to the other guy, hey, 
would you like to go out there in our invisible boat? And he said, I'm not that sick. I'm not getting into an invisible boat. I'm not that nuts. And they said, no, come on in. And he gets into this invisible boat and they give him a paddle and they tell him to paddle the boat. Now, this is a record because we're talking about paddles and boats two weeks in a row. That has never happened on this in this forum before. If you remember last week, I told you I needed a sponsor because my sponsor says, put your paddle in the water and start paddling. Okay, so this other guy gets in the invisible boat. And he thought he must and these guys must be out of their minds. And they say, paddle, paddle, paddle. And he's paddling out and he's paddling out and all of a sudden food appears. All of a sudden, this boat becomes a yacht. It becomes like a, a, a cruise ship with activities and all kinds of amenities on this boat. And they're paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling. And then he says, well, that's good enough for me. And he stops paddling. And what happened wasn't that the boat went back, reverted back to a semi-luxurious state. When he stopped paddling, the boat disappeared and he fell in the water. So recovery is that invisible boat that if we paddle, we can have something better than a yacht, something better than something that is of this earth. But if we don't paddle, we don't maintain it, we can forget it. So we are in a situation where work is required. We are in a situation where work is required so that we can transcend our greatest dreams. When we eat, we think, oh, it'll just, be, if it's really bad, it'll be this bad. Well, my experience tells me you'll wish it was that bad because it's going to be worse. And when you start recovering, you will find that it will be beyond your wildest dreams. The title of Roseanne's autobiography, Roseanne Scholar is the founder of OA. Her autobiography is entitled Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. And it's entitled to, it's entitled, it's entitled, it's titled that, that's better. Okay, I knew I'd get it out eventually. It's titled that because this is what this is. A way to transcend your wildest dreams. My life is good. I wish there were certain things about it that were different. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? But I had to spend $9,000 this week because my 14-year-old air conditioner on the roof conked out on me. And in Arizona, where I live, you don't negotiate with air conditioners. You fix them or you replace them. There is no, oh, well, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll take, we're, we're heading into the hot part of the year. I'm not going to sit here and turn into a nothing. I'm going to, I replaced that air conditioner. Now I'm good for the next, you know, 10, 15 years. So I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. It's off my head. But that's $9,000 I didn't want to freaking spend. But I had it to spend. I put it on my credit card. I don't carry credit card debt. 
I never thought I'd be in a position many years ago where I could spend nine, ten thousand dollars at a crack and be okay. I'm not going to miss a meal. I'm not going to miss a mortgage payment. I'm not going to miss anything. Yeah, I don't want to do it. Yeah, who does? How many people here want to spend $9,000 on something that you can't eat or wear or whatever? You know, who wants to do that? But I did it and it's okay. Now I got a secret for you. I got a secret for you. The next guy that buys my house, he's getting jacked up $10,000. Don't tell them, but I'm jacking the price of this house up 10,000 because that's a heck of a selling point that you have a brand new air conditioner. So if I should keel over today and my friend gets the house, he's jacking the price up 10 G's, but just don't tell the next buyer. Okay, these are thoughts which must go with us constantly. And that is something that we have to work at. That is not just something that happens. I don't think about God constantly. I don't think about God all the time unless I absolutely work at it. That has to be developed. And how does that develop? By constant attention to it. It's not going to happen overnight. We can exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish, it is the proper use of the will. What is the proper use of the will? The proper use of the will is to pray for God's will to be done, not mine. God's will is good. My will sucks. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. So that's what I pray a lot. A lot. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, not suggestions, but directions, where are the directions? They're in this book. The directions on how to go from step one to 12 and then live my life are in this book. You remember how we were so mad that we didn't get an instruction manual and we didn't get an instruction manual on how to do this or that or the other? Here's your instruction manual. There's no problem that is beyond God's reach. There's no problem beyond God's reach. It's, there's no problem beyond God's power. We have begun to sense the flow of his spirit. Notice that that's capitalized. His spirit, we're talking about God into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. I'm working on that. I'm more God conscious than I was. I'm looking to be more God conscious yet. And I'm experiencing some growing pains in the last while here. Trust me on that one. I have been taken to school. Okay, we have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. But we must go further, and that means more action. Notice it doesn't say that we must go further, and that means more meetings. It doesn't say we must go further, so we need a new food plan. Notice it doesn't say that we must go further, and that means more whatever. Now, I'm not knocking meetings. Don't come away from this thinking that I'm telling you you don't have to go to meetings. I go to five vision for you meetings. Oh, no, six, because I go to Sunday morning. But let's just stay with five. Five meetings a week for two hours a day, every day, Monday through Friday. I go to the Scottsdale Zoom meeting Sunday through Friday. Now, if I'm visiting someone and I'm 
I'm not here or I'm doing something. Okay, I will miss meetings to go live my life. But by and large, that is my meeting schedule. I also, although I won't be there tonight, I also go to the family afterwards. I'm going to miss that tonight, unfortunately. And I know they have some very good speakers. But um, the bottom line is, is that um, I go to the family afterward. And every once in a while, as I tell others to do, I do myself. I go to a meeting on Zoom that I don't normally go to, where I can stretch and I can hear voices I don't normally hear. I can hear things I don't normally get exposed to. So this is this is something that is very important for me, is to make sure you understand I'm not knocking meetings, but just going to meetings is not recovery. If you came here today to this meeting, and you are hoping to hear me give you a dieting tip, something I'm going to say that's going to help you stay out of the food. I'm sorry I disappointed you. What I can say that will help you stay out of the food is work the steps, get a sponsor, put the food, get to put the food down, get a sponsor, and work the steps. I don't have dieting tips. You want dieting tips? You've got books right in your house right now. That'll tell you drink water instead of eating or try. One time I was hospitalized at Skokie Valley Hospital. This I'm going back now to the early 80s. Uh, and a psychologist came up to my room uh, and said to me, just try to visualize something you I don't know if it was a psychologist, a psychiatrist, I don't know, something. But anyway, this, this lady said, try to visualize something that you really want and know that the food is blocking you from getting it. Yeah, that works. That works really well. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Um, but the bottom line is, if I don't have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, then nothing is going to keep me from that food. Absolutely nothing is going to keep me from that food. How do I know that? Well, my life proves it. My life is an example of Harlan on Harlan's will cannot stay out of the food on his own. If I could have stayed out of the food on my own, you wouldn't be here listening to me now. You'd be watching, watching Rocky and Bullwinkle or you'd be doing whatever the heck you're doing. You know, it's a Saturday. Maybe you'd be out at the Cub game or something. I don't know, but you wouldn't be here. But what I can tell you is I would have missed the greatest adventure of my life, that all of you are a part of me. All of you are an aspect of my recovery. I don't get to hug you at the end of the meeting anymore. I don't get to hold hands with you when we say the prayer at the end of the day. But I feel your love, and I hope I give enough of it back that God is here when two or more of us are gathered together. I have been to many meetings, especially during snowstorms in Chicago. I have been to many, many meetings where there were two people there, me and one other person. That's it. I've also been to many meetings, North Scottsdale Fellowship Club and so on, where I was the only person that showed up. Maybe it was a holiday. Maybe it was the Super Bowl. Maybe it was something. I was the only person that showed up at that meeting. You know what? I didn't eat that day. I stayed there. I held the room open to see if somebody was coming and they didn't. And that's okay. But I didn't eat that day. Trust God 
Walk to God. See if he won't run to you. He will run to you and he will pick you up as you would a toddler and hold you and kiss you and hug you. And you will know that you are loved and protected. You will know that there is a God and it's not you. So this step, step 10, and the, the step 10 promises should give you an idea of what recovered is like rather than recovering. Recovering means we're working toward this, these promises. Recovered means they are part of your life already, but you have to work to maintain them. We want to be very clear that recovery and recovered are not permanent states, that they are liquid, that they are transitional, that you through your action will determine where you are. Is your program where you want it to be? If not, work harder and work smarter. Sometimes working harder doesn't help you working smarter. Because sometimes I, I hear people working harder and what they're doing is they're adding all kinds of crap into their program that's in their way. You know, I love uh, brisket. I love, my mother used to make a brisket to die for. I love brisket. But what if I said, uh, my mom's not making the brisket tonight. I'm going to make the brisket tonight. And I see some Fruit Loops. Should I put the Fruit Loops in the brisket? No. Now I see some chocolate syrup. Should I put some chocolate syrup in there? Maybe. No, I shouldn't. Should I put some sugar in there? Should I put some diet uh, cola in there? No, no. It has to, the, the recipe has to be correct. Now, we're going to next week, we are going to talk about step 11. We're going to introduce step 11. We're going to be talking about prayer and meditation. And I'm going to take you back to 1939. And we're going to discuss what meditation meant to them at that time. And it was not this idea of meditating on the floor and all this that was not introduced to this country till many, many, many years after the book was written. So we're going to examine next week the history of step 11. We're going to be talking about prayer and meditation, and we're going to be going through the nighttime and the daytime practices. I don't know how far we'll get, but eventually we're going to cover that. What are some of the differences between the night and the day? Okay, before I turn it back to Maria, I'm going to remind